Let's continue to worship as we open God's Word together. Daniel chapter 5 is where we will begin um, today and spend our time together today. We are walking through the book of Daniel and considering the story of God in the land of exile. Chapter 4, we saw the end of King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of Babylon. His kingdom has come and he has gone. His kingdom is still there. That's not true at the end of of Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, we see the end of the nation of Babylon. Some of the dreams that we talked about a few weeks ago come true in this chapter. We see the rise and fall of kings and of kingdoms. And remember, church, one of the major themes of this book is this, the kings and kingdoms of this world. They will come and they will go. They will rise and they will fall. But Jesus is king over them all. And what we have in Daniel chapter 5 is a beautiful illustration of kings and kingdoms coming and going, paving the way for the kingdom that will come that will never be shaken. And church, that kingdom is ours. It's the kingdom we belong to as citizens of heaven. And so Daniel chapter 5, we'll see and we'll consider that God executes justice for the honor of his name. As we begin to walk through this chapter, would you go with me to the Lord in prayer again? God, we come and we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we don't have to worship a God who's distant or absent. God, we can worship a God who is Emmanuel, who is with us. And Lord, you've not just been with us, you've given your word to us. And Lord, we find it this morning as our source of truth. Lord, we find it this morning as our source of power. And Lord, it's our desire as we walk through this chapter this morning that you would use the truth of your word and the power of your spirit to mold and shape our hearts. God, confront the sin that's tucked in the deepest part of us. Lord Jesus, that your truth might bring about repentance. God, that your truth, God, would continue to conform us more and more into your image. God, that's our hope. And Lord, only you can accomplish that. And so we ask, God, we plead in the name of Jesus. Amen. There are two themes that we ended chapter 4 with last week. And I know that that was the Sunday after daylight savings time. So maybe a reminder would be helpful, right? You've slept a couple of times since then. Two major themes in chapter four at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life that are helpful for us just to go back and underline today. One of those is found in verse 25 when Nebuchadnezzar had been humiliated right before his restoration. These words, all this happened until you know, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Yes, there may be kings. Yes, there may be rulers here on earth, but the Most High rules and reigns over the kings and kingdoms of this world. The second theme worth going back and highlighting is found in Nebuchadnezzar's last recorded words in verse 37. And that is this, that those who walk in pride, God is able to humble. Take those themes and turn the page to chapter 5. And what we have in chapter 5 is we have a new king, same kingdom at least for a minute. New king, his name is Belshazzar. Uh, Many believe, although he's referred to, or he refers to Nebuchadnezzar as his father throughout chapter five, uh, many believe that it's actually either his his, his grandson that he's speaking to. Um, But either way, he is in the lineage of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, The word father here is referring to his ancestors. So he has a clear understanding of who Nebuchadnezzar was, his rule, his reign in, in, in Babylon. 
And yet today what we see is Belshazzar, although he was Nebuchadnezzar's uh, grandson, probably, perhaps, there was a huge disconnect in the hearts of these two kings. And what we see in chapter 5 is the fall of the great nation of Babylon. If we go back a few chapters, what we see in our text today is fulfillment of what we saw in chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. You remember the image, the head of gold that represents Babylon is no more at the end of chapter 5. What we see is God is taking steps to establish his everlasting kingdom that he promised that he would. And in many ways, just like Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar reminds us again of the danger of pride, but also the beauty of humility. And what we'll see in chapter 5 is Belshazzar's main issue was not ignorance of God's truth. He, He was very well aware And Daniel even confronts it on it. He was very well aware of of what God had done in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. So he was not ignorant of truth, but he was arrogant towards truth. And for us, as we sit underneath the the word of God this morning, I think there's application here that this indifference that that Belshazzar had with the truth of God's word should serve as a warning for us, because as we have sung beautifully together in song today, the truth of God leads to, in our hearts and in our lives, humility and worship. That's what happens. And when we, in our pride, rise up or stand up against that, we see what we'll see in chapter 5, that God executes justice for the honor of his name. We'll begin by considering the famous story of the handwriting on the wall. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we'll read verses 5 through 9 in just a minute. Beginning in verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of them of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple. You remember going all the way back to chapter 1, the house of God in Jerusalem and the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and Stone. We're introduced to Belshazzar rather quickly in Daniel chapter 5. In some ways, kind of some historical context might be helpful here, but I believe this short introduction serves to remind us that we need to remember that Daniel is not ultimately meant to be an historical book. It is meant to be a theological book. And so a long and broad introduction is not necessary at this point because God has a theological lesson that he wants to teach us. History knows, and we know through history, that Babylon was known for its great parties. They were elaborate people. You remember we began this series by reading in the book of Revelation, the end of all time, Babylon is still referred to as a great nation, but in its greatness had no idea who God was and did not desire to live under his lordship. If you think about the two different kings in this way, Nebuchadnezzar built a great empire, but Belshazzar, his predecessor, threw a great party. There's a great feast. A thousand of his lords is what these verses say. 
And the picture is Belshazzar drinking wine in front of them, not with them, in front of them, provoking them, showing them the depravity of his heart and his life. They were partying together, and the picture here is that he was the king partier, and he thought he would get the last word. They tasted the wine, and in his arrogance, he says, bring to me the gold and silver of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's not that they ran out of dishes. It's not that the dishwasher was full and they were looking for more cups. This was an arrogant step here. He said, I'm going to show them what these tools that used to be in the temple are used for today. He thought he would get the last laugh. Verse 4, they prayed to the gods of gold, silver, bronze, and iron. You see, in some ways, Belshazzar had inherited the sins of his ancestors, of his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar, and yet he did not know the God of King Nebuchadnezzar. There's a warning that came, and I think a warning here for us. We gather and worship this day, 2022, many, many years removed uh, from this text and this reality and this kind of party. But I think there, there is a good warning here to the heart of the Christian. That in exile, we're living in exile. That in exile, we are tempted sometimes to enjoy the feast of this world without realizing that our, our hearts were made for an eternal feast. Psalm 1611 says it like this, that you have made known to me the path of life, that in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. Like God is not depriving us from pleasure. God is not depriving us from joy. But there is a source of true joy that this world does not know. As one commentary says here, that we are too impressed with everything that glitters and sparkles. It's been true for almost every generation of Christian. The temptation of our heart is to be captivated by the things of the world without realizing that we were made for another world. Because what we see in Daniel chapter 5 is earthly joy is empty joy. Continue reading in verse 5. It says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, and the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, and have a great chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Verse 9, Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. In the moment, they're having a great party. He was fully enjoying himself here on earth. And immediately, there comes this hand begins to write these words on the wall across the lampstand. I don't know why across the lampstand is significant, but it is. Very clear picture on the wall, across from the picture, across from the lampstand. He begins to write. The king's color changed, thoughts alarmed him. Literally, his knees knocked together. The picture, he, he fainted. He passed out. And you know the drill. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, he calls all the wise men, hey, come help me. I'm in trouble. Come on, Chaldeans. Come on, enchanters. Come on, interpreters. See what you can do for me. 
They had nothing to offer him. They were perplexed. This is really where we get the modern expression of the handwriting on the wall. It has biblical roots used for a thousand different things in culture and society today. But what we see is this act of God, this handwriting on the wall to those who are living in rebellion calls our hearts to tremble, calls our hearts to to fear the unknown. But to those of us who are living in faith, the justice of God is not something that we are to be afraid of because the justice of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied on our behalf. Galatians chapter 6 says it like this. We read this last week. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. You see, Belshazzar thought for a moment that he was having the party of his life with the king's gold that used to be in the temple of the Lord. He thought he had mastered it. He thought he'd thrown the party of all parties. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The handwriting on the wall leads to this great warning that we see in verses 10 through 23. The warning first, first comes through the queen. In verse 10, the, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came in to the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Look at verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Verse 12, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. The queen steps in. We don't really know a whole lot about her identity. A lot of people guess. Perhaps it's uh, Belshazzar's mother, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, daughter. We don't really know, but here's what we do know. She was not in the banqueting hall. She heard about the, the ruckus. She heard about the writing on the wall, and she steps into the banqueting hall and says, hey, O king, live forever, but remember this guy named Daniel. This guy named Daniel helped your, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, interpret these dreams and moments such as these. I love how it's pictured in verse 11, that there is a, a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And look at how Daniel is described. Remember, he's living in exile. This is not his home. In him, there is light, there's understanding, there's wisdom, there's an excellent spirit, there's knowledge, knowledge to explain riddles and solve problems and help with these troubles of your heart. You see, a king has come and a king has gone, but Daniel living faithfully unto God in this land of exile. I think this is what the New Testament is talking about when it calls us as Christians to be salt and light. And think a great hope for us in reading Daniel chapter 5 is that in us, that we may have this same reputation while we live in exile. When people look at you in your workplace and look at you and your family or as you enjoy your retirement years, may this description be true of you. That as this lost world looks at you, that they look at you and they see a man or a woman of light and understanding in whom the spirit of the gods reside. The most high God 
dwells, works in him and through him. And then the queen goes on in verse 11, Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, the emphasis here is, hey, your predecessor, the one who occupied that throne before you occupied, he trusted Daniel, and you should probably trust him too. And it ends in verse 11. Now let Daniel be called. The picture here is in the moment of crisis, the call is, hey, go find Daniel. I wonder how many people in our church, in our city, in your life, in their moments of crisis, how many of them think in their mind, hey, go call Luke. Hey, go call, insert your name. Like, do we have this reputation in the midst of a chaotic world? Or when the world sees us, do they just see chaos too? You see, the picture here is in the middle of crisis, in the middle of confusion, that there was a man whose character and countenance resembled the living God. And for us, that's our call in exile. That our countenance, our character, who we are, resembles the most high God who rules over kings and kingdoms. And Daniel steps in, verse 13, and Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king answered and said to him, you are that Daniel. Fascinating. You are that one. One of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah, I have heard of you, and that the spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. What a beautiful testimony. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and made known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read this writing and make known to me this interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. In walks Daniel, steps into crisis, and the king says, oh, you are that Daniel. You're the one that I've heard about. You're the one whose testimony goes before you. You're the one whose faith has literally impacted those that rule and reign over Babylon for generations. Think about that. His faithfulness to God not just had survived one king, multiple kings. Some believe Daniel's life in Babylon was about 70 years old. The picture here is that Daniel kind of had been relegated. He kind of been demoted after Nebuchadnezzar's rule and reign. It's fascinating correlation here today. Most people believe about this time Daniel had gone into retirement. He was about 60, between 60 and 65 years old. The picture, Nebuchadnezzar had rewarded him with a rich inheritance. He was living in the comforts of life, enjoying the retirement years, but God was not done with him. And we see in our hearts and lives, and we've said it all throughout this series, that as long as God gives you breath and gives your heart a beat, he has a purpose for you to fulfill. And so the picture here is Daniel walks out of retirement into crisis. Why? Because God called him. You are that Daniel. I think it's the picture in Paul in 1 Timothy 3, when he's talking about Christians, says that we are to be well spoken of by outsiders. See, people who knew Daniel knew the character of Daniel. 
It's people who know you, your, people in this city, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. Do they know your character in this way? That in moments of crisis, you are that one that they want to walk into that room to be that Daniel. May this be our testimony in exile. May we be the ones, as those that have the living hope of Jesus Christ our Lord, that when we walk into the room of of crisis in our life and in our culture, that the lost world breathes a deep breath of fresh air and, oh, he's here. May we have that testimony. In election season, when gas prices are high, when there's a war in Europe, may when we walk into the room, may we bring the character and countenance of our living God who lives within us. And may the world around us just breathe a breath of fresh air. He's here. promise here is, Belshazzar says, if you do this for me, then I'll give you this purple clothing and put this gold chain around your neck and you'll be the third ruler in the kingdom. I did a lot of research about this purple clothing just to confirm it's not the ECU purple. It's a different shade of purple they're talking about here. But you'll be clothed with this purple clothing. I'm kidding. I don't know the shade of purple. I was a joke. If that didn't land, I'm sorry. Uh, but Daniel says, hey, you keep your stuff. He says, I don't want the earth's rewards. I'm not here for that. I'm here to serve my God. And before I serve him and before I interpret this, Belshazzar, let me remind you of who the king is. Let me remind you of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he goes on in these following verses and says that the Most High gave him greatness, gave him glory and majesty, and he did whatever he wanted. But he was brought from his kingly throne. He was driven from his palace until... Read verse 21 with me. He was taken from among the children of mankind, remember last week, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and he was fed with grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. You see, Remember from last week, God humbles you so that he might know you. That's what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He brought him low so that he could share an intimate relationship with God. And Daniel offers Belshazzar this warning. You remember his life. You remember what happened to him, right? And then he goes on in verse 22, and you, his son, here comes the warning, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart though you knew all of this. And for us, the great warning of our heart is that our heads would be full, filled with knowledge of God, but our hearts would not be changed by him. God help us not to have that testimony. Because what we see is Belshazzar, he knew all of this, and yet he refused to humble his heart. God is not after the knowledge in your head. He's after the humility of your heart. And consider this warning from Belshazzar in verse 23. Daniel says, But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house you have brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, 
which do not see or hear or know. Look at verse, the end of verse 23. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all of your ways you have not honored. He has not humbled his heart, although he knew all of this. Belshazzar had an unteachable spirit. I believe one of the things, if you read the New Testament, if you follow church history, and if you park yourself on March the 20th, 2022, I believe one of the biggest obstacles to the movement of God is an unteachable spirit. Because an unteachable spirit is grounded and rooted, and its foundation is pride. What God wants from his people is an openness, a willingness, a humility of heart that honors the one who gives us our breath. To quote a great 19th century philosopher here of G.W. Hegel, he says, the only thing that we can learn from history is that we have learned nothing from history. And here we are, and that's why this challenge of Daniel chapter 5 applies so well to March 20th of 2022. And the warning here, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You, Belshazzar, have profaned his name because you worshiped his things instead of him. But the God in whose hand is your breath. Think about that for a moment. I paused long enough for you to take a breath, I hope, unless you're holding your breath. The picture here is that breath you just took is in the hand of the Most High God. If he didn't want you to have it, he'd have closed it and you'd have been done. Somebody beside you would have been calling 911 and you'd have been out of here. But because you have that breath, God gave it to you. And because that's true, what we see in verse 23 is he is worthy of our honor. But the God in whose hand is your breath And whose are all your ways you have not honored. That's why we can say God executes justice for the honor of his name. He has set up this world in a way that he receives the glory. He has set up our lives in a way that are meant to give him honor and praise. And you see, Belshazzar knew it. He knew what he was supposed to do, and he failed to do it. May we, may our hearts heed this warning. And may we honor the God who has given you this breath. Why? Because he is the one who executes justice for the honor of his name. And if we do not heed this warning, we'll continue in Daniel chapter 5 to see and feel the weight of judgment. Verse 24, then from his presence, the hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Meaning, meaning, tikel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meaning means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel meaning that you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Imparius, your kingdom is divided and has been given to the Medes and the Persians. You remember the dream from a couple of chapters ago. It's becoming true right now. And then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple not the ECU purple, a chain of gold and was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed 
And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Fascinating picture here in which this dream is interpreted. It was fascinating as I was reading this week, actually these words would have been able to be interpreted by probably everyone in the room, but they would have interpreted them in their noun form. And what Daniel does is he interprets them in their verb form and adds a few passive participles that we get the interpretation that we have. In essence, saying, Belshazzar, your kingdom has been numbered. It's been numbered. It's been weighed. There wasn't anything there of substance, so it's just gone. It's divided from you. The God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. I think this next one is probably the most humbling to me. Like you have been weighed in the balances and you have been found wanting. Like the God put you on his sovereign scale and it didn't register a thing. No weight within you or in your work or within this kingdom. And because that's true, your kingdom will be divided among the Medes and the Persians. And the challenge here is that very night, Belshazzar died, the hands of the king the new king who would come. That brings us to a question. Chapter 4, we see that Belshazzar was given 12 months to repent before before his humiliation and ultimate restoration. And yet Belshazzar was given a few minutes. We don't know the mind of God. But here's the lesson that we can walk away with, that we should not and do not presume upon the opportunity to turn to God and his grace. Don't think that it'll be available for you tomorrow. I don't want to just make an application to young people in the room, but I remember as a teenager, the temptation of my heart was, I'll get my heart right whenever I go to college. I'll get right with God. I know all the right things, but I'm going to truly surrender to him just in a few years. I just want to have a little bit of fun right now. And you see how much like Belshazzar that is. And in that way of thinking, we are presuming upon the grace of God. Or maybe you, you think, well, maybe let me just get through my career and earn a certain amount of money, and then I'll live in in full surrender to God in retirement when I just don't have as many things to do as I do right now. That way of thinking, you might as well start calling us Belshazzars. Presuming upon the grace of God. History tells us that Babylon fell in an overnight invasion by the Medes and the Persians. The picture is by historians that literally they were having this party and outside the city walls, the Medes and the Persians were planning their attack. You see the futility of that? But the application for us is this, that one night will be your last night. And we don't know when. But when that night comes, To steal the words of the theologian here, C.T. Studd, only one life, and it will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. You see, on that last night, we will not have the worries and concerns that we have right now, but that one night will come. And to borrow the words of the psalmist, may our lesson as we read Daniel chapter 5 this morning be this. Lord, teach us to number our days. One pastor this week in studying for this said this, no one gets injustice from God. You either get justice or mercy. 
You get justice in hell or mercy in heaven. There is no injustice. Bad people get a bad result in hell or bad people get a good result in heaven. There is no category as a good person getting a bad result. And he ends that quote was, well, once there was. And the reminder is this, is looking to Jesus in this moment, that apart from Christ, we stand condemned, that we stand worthy of the wrath of God. But the prophet Jeremiah, foreseeing the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us, prophesies about the one that would come and drink the cup of our wrath. And this one is Jesus, the one who who came to bear the weight of our judgment so that God could be perfectly just and perfectly gracious at the exact same time. And that is only possible because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. To borrow the words of the great hymn writer, bearing shame and scoffing in my place, condemned he stood. He sealed my pardon with his blood. That is our Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. You see, had it not been for that Savior who stood in your place, we with the best motives and the best intentions would have ended up like Belshazzar enjoying the party of this life with no one to turn to. But praise be to God that there is a God who rules the kings and kingdoms of this world, who is able to bring humility to those who walk in pride. And so for us, the warning today is this, do not delay. Tonight could be your last night. And listen, I'm not one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers, but I promise you, One day you will breathe your last breath. And in that moment, you will be faced with this God who you turn to as Lord and Savior of your life for forever, or you will face an eternity without him. That's the truth. So teach us to number our days. The justice of God numbers our days. It weighs our worth. It executes his purpose. But because, but because we are justified in Christ, our days are numbered for all eternity. That our our worth is forever found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And in faith, we can live into his eternal purposes. So what can we learn today from Daniel chapter 5? I think a few things. One, we could see the writing on the wall. You see, our hearts were made for a real feast with a real forever king. And the temptation of this world is for us to be captivated by all that glitters and sparkles. You see, we are made for something so much more. So may we see today what our hearts were truly made for. And may, secondly, for us, may we listen to the warning of our heart. May we walk away in light of God's word in Daniel chapter 5, numbering our days, not in fear, but in faith. Because whenever my last breath does come, I know exactly where I'm going to be. And may I live that way. May I live with that hope. And the third thing that we can learn, be reminded of, is to turn to Jesus. Like he is the one who carries our judgment for us. He is the one who bears the wrath of God on our behalf. And he is the one 
who rules over kings of this world and kingdoms of this world, and yet his kingdom will never be shaken. And that is our Savior this morning. And so for us, when we see and hear that God executes justice for the honor of his name, we can believe that, and at the same time, we can thank God for giving us his son so that God could be perfectly just and perfectly gracious at the same time, and we could receive the gift of salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, teach us to number our days. Father, help us to see the writing of the wall of the pride of our lives. And God, help that to drive us to you in prayerful repentance and obedience. Lord, we count it a privilege to know you, to love you, to serve you, and to follow you. And Lord, should there be one here who's playing games with their life, Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict their hearts in this moment. And God, that they would give their lives to the one who gives us joy forevermore. A joy that our hearts were made for. A joy that our hearts long for that is not found in the feast and banquets of this world, but was made for our eternal home in heaven with you. So Lord Jesus, as we respond this morning, may your truth stir our hearts to obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.